Hey, I want to welcome you guys all to church today. So glad that you're here joining us. And for those of you guys who are watching online, thank you so much for spending this time with us as well. We are in the middle of a series, one that Pastor Jonathan chose, the one that Pastor Jonathan came up with and, and told me about and told me how he, wanted to, how he wanted me to approach the series. And the series that we're in is called Comeback Season. And this is part three of a four-part message series. And he says that he chose this title, Comeback Season, because it really represents a shift. And it represents a shift in two different ways. Uh, tomorrow's the Super Bowl, and, and tomorrow we're, we're, we're going to be watching these games, and we're going to be watching two teams combating and fighting to win the championship and, you know, all that. And, and when you look at sports, the comeback is a term that can relate to sports. And it refers to when one team that was losing by maybe a lot is able to come back and ultimately win the game. They were losing, and then somehow they won. They turned it on. Something changed. Something clicked. And they went from a losing posture, a losing position, into a winning position. The other kind of understanding of comeback is when it comes to musical artists or celebrities who were in kind of obscurity or irrelevance for a long time. You know, they didn't release any great albums or they didn't, weren't any great movies. And then all of a sudden, they come back with a comeback album or a comeback movie. You know, the perfect example of this, I don't know if you guys know this, but Iron Man, Robert Downey Jr., the guy who played in Iron Man, before he was in Iron Man, he was like kind of nobody. Like he was in a couple small roles. Nobody really knew who he was. He did a couple things, a couple side characters, and then he became Iron Man. That was his comeback. Now everybody knows Robert Downey Jr. So that's the comeback. And as we were talking about this, this is so relevant and, and can be so meaningful for each of us. And I want to look at this comeback in two different ways. Number one, the first way, when you come from a losing position and you shift into a winning position, that's what we want for you spiritually. There are some of you guys in this season of life, if you look at the quality and the, 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 the condition of your heart and your soul and where you're at spiritually, you'd be like, I'm kind of down. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of down. I'm kind of losing here. And what we want to see through this series in, in 2023 is a shift where you're moving from a losing position into a spiritually winning position. From a place of being spiritually unhealthy to a place of being spiritually healthy. We're, gonna, we're talking about how that can happen. The second way is that we want to move God from a place of irrelevance in your life to a place of relevance. I want you guys to understand that even though you are here sitting with us in church today, even though some of you are sitting at home and you're, 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 you're using your valuable time to sit in front of a computer or a TV or a tablet and you're watching our service today, which is all awesome and it is amazing. I'm so glad that you're here. It is possible that you could sit in this room in church and God can still be irrelevant in your life. Let's be honest. You can be sitting here listening, but God is actually still irrelevant. And we want to shift. We want to see a change from irrelevance, God's irrelevance in our lives, to a place of relevance. Now, how do we do that? How do we see relevance? How do we bring a comeback into our lives? How do we allow God to come back into our lives to a place of relevance? There are a couple of different ways we can approach this, a couple of different ways we can think about it. But for this series, we're focusing on really two concepts that are really so closely related that they're kind of one, that if we can understand, if we can grasp and internalize these two things, that if these things can be real to us, God will become more relevant in your life, and you can shift from a losing position spiritually to a more of a winning position. The two key concepts are forgiveness 
and repentance. Now, again, there's a lot of ways to bring God, to, to make God relevant in your life. But for one, for our series today, we're just focusing on this idea of forgiveness and repentance. Now, um, next week is going to be the practical message of this series. Okay, next week, we're going to talk about how to repent. What do you do when you repent? And I'm hoping and I'm thinking the way God is going to lead this is we're going to have a time of repentance. And so I'm going to assign you guys a piece of homework, something to think about this week. And I'll talk about it at the end. So next week is going to be the really practical message of understanding how to, you know, approach God and how to actually repent. Today, though, is kind of a theologically heavy message that's going to help us to understand what repentance actually is and also why we need to repent. Now, I think most of you guys have an understanding. I know why I need to repent. I, I, I know. I've heard it and I've talked about it. I've heard it in church. I know why we repent. But here's my, my, my thinking. A lot of us have the wrong reason for why we repent. And when we have the wrong motivation for repentance, it kind of nullifies and kind of invalidates the process of repentance. And so I want to make sure that we all understand what is the right or the biblical reason as we understand what repentance is to repent. And when we have that foundation set, next week we're going to talk about how we can actually do that. So with that, let's pray together and get into today's message. Father in heaven, God, I need you today. There are some concepts that are big, weighty, conceptual, abstract, that I need your help to help us grasp and understand. Because I think you want us to know why repentance can be so meaningful for each and every one of us. So God, please be here. Do what only you can do. Holy Spirit, move in powerful ways. Speak to us, Lord. Name me pray. Amen. The theme verse of this entire series is Proverbs 24, 16. So I'll put it on the screen. We're going we're to look at that. Proverbs 24, 16 reads, For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again, but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. Now, uh, I'm going to state the obvious. As you look at this verse, what you notice is that what makes someone righteous is not not sinning. What makes someone righteous is not that they didn't mess up or that they never fell. What makes someone righteous, according to this verse, is what? That they got up. It's not about if they made the mistake or they did the thing or they screwed up in that way. It's not that. They are not wicked because they did the thing or they committed the sin. They are unrighteous or wicked because they stayed down. So that's like, uh, that, that's there. And that's, that's actually a huge kind of paradigm shift because a lot of us think righteousness is perfection. If I stop sinning, then I am righteous. According to Proverbs 24, 16, that's not the case. You are righteous because you get up, and you are wicked or unrighteous because you stay down. So we got to really understand it, because that's a totally different shift, and I think our understanding of what righteousness and unrighteousness is. The righteous fall seven times, they rise again, but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. And here's another thing. Who stumbles or falls more in Proverbs 24? The righteous actually falls more than the wicked person. They fell seven times. And the wicked person fell one time. Let's keep that in mind. This is a whole new understanding of what righteousness is. And we have to have this in our minds to understand then what repentance is. So in this context, right, what's obvious is getting up equals righteous and staying down equals wicked. Now that's not very helpful for us, right? 
Like, what does that even mean, right? Obviously, it's not talking about physical posture and getting up and physically getting up or staying down. What does this mean for us? I want to start this message by expanding and unpacking these concepts. What does it look like for you and me to stay down? Because we should know that. Because then that, according to this verse, is wicked. What does it mean for us to stay down? And then what does it mean for us to get up? I'm going to share three quick points about what it means to stay down. First comes from Psalm chapter 32, the 32nd Psalm. And we believe that maybe David wrote this as kind of also part of his like repentance from his sin with Bathsheba and, and, and Uriah and all that stuff. But listen to what he says. And in Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2 and 3, we kind of see one version of how you stay down in sin. Okay, One version of how you stay down in sin. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Okay. Whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. So it's great to be forgiven. It's wonderful. It's, this, this is a great thing. But this is not always what it was like for me. This is what he says in verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones wasted through my groaning all day long. One way we stay down, to use the words and language of Proverbs 24, is silence, is where we know we sinned, but we don't talk about it. We don't confess it. We don't tell God. We don't tell anyone else. We just keep it to ourselves because it's too embarrassing, because it's too shameful. We hide our sin, and we are silent about our sin. This is one way we know we stay down in our sin. We stumble, and we don't let anybody know. We don't tell anyone. We don't even confess it to God because we don't want to bring it up because it's so shameful and embarrassing. I don't know if you guys do this. I want you guys to think about it. As we talk about these three ways, which one is most applicable to you? When you sin, do you just like it never happened? Just pretend like it never happened. He says that when you do that, his bones wasted away. He felt, and I think that, 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 that phrase of bones wasting away, it kind of points to kind of our modern day version of depression, anxiety, and sickness because of guilt and shame that he's holding onto. I've said this before, and I'm going to say this again. I'll say this as many times as I need to. The power of sin, the power of sin over you is in silence. The less you're willing to talk about and confess your sin to each other, to other people, to God, the more power sin will have over you. The power to control you, the power to get you to do it again and to continue to commit these sins. So, much time, so many times that power is in the silence because you're hiding and you don't want to talk about it. I'll tell you guys this. If you confess your sin and tell even just one person, one person you trust, one person you know who loves you and accepts you and is like, has all this grace for you, if you just have that one person and you confess that sin to them, whatever it is, I will tell, I guarantee you, the power of that sin over your life will diminish so much if you would just talk about it with someone. So one way we stay down in sin is we hide and we are silent in our sin. The second one comes from Proverbs 30. Proverbs 30 talks about an adulterous woman, but it, it means everybody, right? The way of a sinful person, essentially, in Proverbs 30, verse 20, says this. This is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done nothing wrong. Now, 
Hopefully you guys do understand that he's, she's not talking about actual eating. It's talking about consuming the desires of her flesh. The adulterous woman just does whatever she wants and she consumes uh, the, the desires of her flesh, men and whatever, right? And, and what this person does is she looks at her sin, her actions, her behavior, and she says, I've done nothing wrong. Another way that so many of us stay down in sin is we justify it. I didn't do anything wrong. If you were there, you would have done the same thing. You don't understand the situation. I had no choice. Now, to be true, to be, to be, to be honest, I feel like most of you are self-aware enough to know that what you did was wrong, right? Like you guys aren't dumb and you guys aren't that prideful. You know that you did the thing. And I don't think we justify it in the same way like, ah, I didn't do anything wrong. But I think we do justify it with other kinds of things like, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Or everybody does it. Like, what? Well, everybody does that. And like, you, you think I, I, I shouldn't do that? Come on. Like, it's not that big of a deal. And I think one of the most dangerous ones is, well, I'm just never going to change. And it's hard to keep trying to change and keep trying to be different and then be being disappointed all the time. Like, it's hard. Those are versions and examples of the way we justify our sins. Another example of how you stay down in your sin rather than getting up, which is called righteous, is staying down, which is called wicked or unrighteous. We justify. And the third way is what Pastor Jonathan talked about last week. So if you didn't, you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go to our podcast or YouTube channel to listen to how uh, he talked about how we often deal with sin. And this is probably the most applicable and relevant for all of you. Maybe all of them are, and, and that's great if, that's, if you're hearing that today. But last week he talked about this idea. And so I'm going I'm to share this idea real quick from Romans chapter 6. Paul says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? So we're saved, right? And we have God has shown us grace, so can we just keep sinning? By no means, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which lead to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. So the third way that a lot of us stay down in our sin is through this idea of, I'm forgiven, and I'll just move on. God loves me, Jesus died for me, please forgive me, let's move on with our lives. He called it cheap grace. And you are asking for forgiveness in this kind of situation. You are going to God and you're asking for forgiveness, but you ask for forgiveness and you have no intention and no decision to change. That's cheap grace. Even though you've asked for forgiveness, actually, you are still staying in your sin. So the three different ways that, that, that we can understand how we stay down in sin is we, we hide in our silence, we justify it, or three, we, have, we dismiss it through cheap grace. God, you love me. Forgive me. Forgive me for all my sins, all of them. I don't even know what they are. Just forgive me. I'm just going to move on with my life. I want you to think about where does that apply to you? Maybe one, two, or all three. So the flip side, though, is this. If that's staying down, what then is getting up? Because that's key for us. I want to get up. I'm assuming you want to be righteous before God. I'm assuming you want to do these things. But we're also understanding that it's not necessarily about, you know, uh, being perfect and not sinning anymore. What is getting up? And, and you probably know where I'm getting at. 
Because that's the whole point of this whole series. Getting up is repentance. As we look at Proverbs 24, 16, the process of getting up that is called righteous is the act of repentance. It's the act of repentance. Now, this is so important for us to understand because so many of us have, I feel like, a, an incomplete understanding of what repentance is. See, if Proverbs 24, 16 is true, what it's saying here is this, is that righteousness is not about perfection. It's about getting up. And if getting up is repentance, this is what is true. Repentance is not about perfection. It is about change. Repentance is not about you eliminating all sin from your life. It is about change. It is about an intention to change. I think when it comes to repentance, the question that I often ask myself and also have been asked is, if I quote-unquote repent, but then I do the same sin tomorrow or the week after, did I really repent? Because clearly I'm still doing the thing that I tried to repent from. I must have not actually repented. Maybe my heart was not really right. And I understand where that thought comes from, and I struggle with that as well. But as I study repentance, as I look at Scripture, especially Proverbs 24, 16, that just doesn't seem to be the case. You can genuinely repent, and we're going to define what repentance is, but still fall the next day. You can, according to the verses and the scriptures that we're looking at. You can genuinely repent, but still struggle with sin. Because repentance is not about perfection. It is about change. Is it about a decision to change? It is about an effort to change. And I'll show you why. As we look at the definition of repentance in scripture, you'll see that it actually has nothing to do with the outcome of your repentance. It has nothing to do with what happened to you and if you are sinless and if you overcame that sin and you don't do the thing anymore. The definition has nothing to do with that. Let's look at the definition. There are two words for repentance, for repentance um, in the Bible. In the Old Testament, there's one word. In the New Testament, there's another word. In the Old Testament, the word is shuv, and it means to return home. In the Old Testament, repentance has a sense of returning home. And what's really cool is that in the Jewish mind, this understanding of home was not your house. It wasn't like your physical home. It wasn't your, your home of origin. It wasn't like the prodigal son going home to his dad. Home in the Jewish mind, when it came to repentance, home was Eden. It was the Garden of Eden. So in the mind of the Jewish, in the Old Testament, the ancient Jews, when they repented, they were changing their direction and returning home to this place of like the Garden of Eden, right? The place that was where God's will was absolute, where everything was as God intended to be. So repentance in the Old Testament was a return home to a place like the Garden of Eden. Secondly, in the New Testament, there's another word used for repentance, and the word is metanoia. Metanoia. We're going to break this down to two words. Meta, which means to renew or restore, and the second word, noio, which means to think. So these are two words that are used to, 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 to describe and explain repentance. Shuv and metanoia. Metanoia being a renewal of thinking. So our definition, your definition for repentance, based on these two words, is essentially that repentance is two things. It's change mind, it's a change of mind, and it's a change of direction. That's it. 
Repentance is when you change your mind about something and when you change direction. It has no indication of the outcome. It does not talk about your behavior afterwards. Repentance is a moment, a decision, an intention to change your mind, to change your thinking, but also then to change your direction. It is an internal change in the way you see things, your perspectives, your values. And also an external change where you decide that I'm going to return home. I'm going to position my feet in a different direction. Now, next week, we're going to get into more of the details and the ins and outs of what does this mean and how do we do it. But I just want you guys to understand this is what repentance is. And so if you go through repentance or whatever that looks like and you fail... And the next day or the next week, you do the same thing that you confessed and asked for forgiveness for and repented. I want you to have courage that you still repented, that God was still moving in your heart and God was still moving in your life in that moment, even if you did fail. Because repentance is not about perfection. It is a, about change. It is being part of the process of transformation that God is working on your life. It's saying, I'm going to engage in that process and, and I'm not going to be completely free of sin anymore. I'm not going to be perfect and I'm still going to struggle, but I'm going to engage in the process of transformation that one day will lead me to victory over sin. That's what repentance is. It's a decision and intention to engage in that process. Hopefully you guys understand kind of what I'm talking about and what repentance really is. And I want to shift gears to talk about why. What's the motivations for repentance? And this is really the kind of main part of the sermon today. We have to understand what is the right reason to repent. And I want to look at the apostle Peter's words as he talks to um, the, the, the city in Acts chapter 3. Let me set the scene for you. In Acts chapter 3, Peter just healed somebody. And because he healed somebody from a, a lame beggar, he got up and he's walking. Everyone started gathering around. They're like, oh, what's going on? That guy's walking. That's crazy. And so people are gathering around together to listen and to, to see what he has to say and see what's going on. And Peter begins to preach. And he begins to share this message to these people, the common folk, who just before they knew about Jesus, they had heard about Jesus, and they were part of that mob, part of that crowd. If you guys remember and you've read the gospel stories, there was a mob, there was a crowd that cried, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Those people, he's talking to those very people. And so in Acts chapter 3, listen to what he says. This is a rough sermon, okay? I mean, if you think that some of my sermons are rough and in your face, listen to this sermon. Acts chapter 3, verses 15 to 16. You killed the author of life. Bam. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Like, I saw it. This is why I'm preaching to you, because I saw this happen. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name, and the man he's talking about is the man who was healed, the beggar, the lame beggar. So by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong, it is Jesus' name and the faith uh, and faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. And then this is where he gives the response and where we hit the key word that we're talking about today. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Now, I want to make a really important Inference here. I want to make a really important point about what he says. 
The Apostle Peter connects repentance to the future. Let me just look at that verse, put that verse on the screen one more time. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Peter re, re, uh, connects repentance to the future, not the past. The reason why this is important is most of us connect repentance to the past. Isn't it true? Most of us connect repentance to the sins I committed Last week or yesterday or earlier today or five years ago, this, this sin that was so bad and so terrible, like I'm repenting because of those sins. We often connect repentance to our past, but Peter connects them to the future. Why is this important? Why is this important? Number one, it's important because it's Peter. Peter was the one who screwed up like the most and the biggest, most fantastic ways in the story of the gospel. Right? So it's kind of meaningful that he's the one that's talking about repentance. He says, repentance is not about the sins of the past. The repentance actually is more about the future and what happens tomorrow. And this is so, so significant for us. We often connect our repentance to the things that we did before. The shameful, evil, wicked deeds we did before, so I, I better repent, I better get on my knees, and I better pray to God and ask for forgiveness because look at like my past. And when you do that, you, you, you kind of bring up the shame and the guilt you felt and all of that. But here's the thing that we have to understand about repentance. Repentance is not atonement for sins. See, I think many of us approach repentance as a way to atone for the sins of our past. I did that before, so I'm going to get on my knees, and now I'm going to repent so I can be forgiven from the sins of my past. And, and the effort that I'm going to put forth to, to, to change and be different, that atones for my sins. Because I'm going to try hard and because, guess what, I feel really bad. I feel really guilty for the things that I did. Then I can feel forgiven. And I think when we approach repentance in that way, we're saying repentance is what will atone for my sins. And as I'm saying those words, I'm hoping that some of you are thinking like, wait, 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 that's weird. Like that, that seems, something seems off about that because we know that no deed that we do atones for our sins. It is only Jesus and the cross that atones for our sins. But when we approach repentance as a way to atone for our sins and make, make up for our sins and redeem our sins, we are putting the cross, we are putting the, the, the mechanism for salvation in our own hands. But we do that because we connect repentance to the past. While Peter says, no, 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 it's not about the past. And here, I'm, I'm going to make a statement, and it requires a few, it requires some nuances. So I'm, I'm going to kind of go into this real quick. Repentance is not really about salvation. Which is like, what? What are you talking about? That, that's what it always is talked about. That's, that's, that's what it is. Repentance is not really about salvation, guys. Repentance is not really about salvation. Now, Repentance has a place in that it is an expression of our faith and conviction and appreciation, acceptance of God and Jesus and the cross and all that stuff. Yes, but repentance is not really about salvation because repentance does not save you. 
Jesus saves you. If you think repentance saves you, then what you're thinking is that you save you. And that's heresy. That is wrong. But that is how so many of us, including myself, approach repentance. I have to do this because if I don't repent, then Jesus will not forgive me. I have to atone for my own sins. This is not right. And let me tell you why this is not right. I learned something really interesting today. Um, if, if you've, you've probably heard this phrase before, like Christians will call themselves this. Have you ever heard this phrase, sinners saved by grace? Have you heard this phrase before? Sinners saved by grace. Did you guys know that that phrase is nowhere in the Bible? Sinners saved by grace is not in the Bible. In fact, there is no point in the whole Bible, and I was like kind of blown away this, by this, and I was, very, I was very suspicious, so I like looked it up, and I like read all these things, and I went to concordance and checked all these things. Nowhere in the Bible does it call followers of Jesus sinners. Nowhere in the Bible are followers of Jesus labeled sinners. Now, the word sinner is used. Jesus uses the word sinner, but it's always in reference to people outside the faith, outside of a relationship with Jesus. They are the sinners. But once they enter the fold, once they accept him and follow him, they're no longer sinners. Now, we know that doesn't mean because they don't sin anymore. They're just no longer defined as sinners by Jesus. They still mess up. They still screw up. They still have problems. But God, Jesus, no longer defines them or labels them or calls them sinner once they have chosen to follow him. Do you see yourself as a sinner? Do you look at yourself and define yourself as a sinner? doesn't mean you're perfect, but do you identify yourself as a sinner? I want you to look at a couple labels and definitions and identities given to followers of Jesus in Scripture, okay? So if it never calls us sinners, what does it call us? Let me share a couple of them with you. In the Bible, you're called a saint. The followers of Jesus are called saints. The followers of Jesus are called blameless. The followers of Jesus are called holy priests. This is what they're called. This is what their definition is. This is how they're labeled by the people, by Paul, by, by God. You are holy priests. You are blameless. You are saints. Why? Because clearly they still made mistakes. In fact, Paul will write a letter to the Corinthians and call them the saints in Corinth. And then he'll talk about all the weird, bad, gross, like sexual sins that they're committing. But he started the message, the message of calling them saints. Here's what's so cool about God. God does not define you by your past. He does not define you even by who you are right now. God, listen to this, God defines you by who you will become. Right? So like, you may have committed sins in the past, and that's why you feel bad. That's why you feel guilty. That's why you feel like you have shame. But God's like, that's not who you are. Who you are is who I see you becoming later. You are identified not by your past or even your present, but by your future. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that so amazing? And so this is so important for us to get a hold of and, and, and really wrap our minds around. You are saints, guys. You are saints that 
that struggle and sin and have issues and have problems. But in God's eyes, you're a saint. You are blameless and you are holy. That's what it says in the Bible about the followers of Jesus. Never does it ever call the followers of Jesus sinners as a label, as a point of definition. So with that in mind, I want you to understand that repentance is not a way to atone for your sins. It doesn't do that. That's not what it's for. It's not really about being saved and salvation. It's about something different. And this is what I want to focus on as we kind of near the end of this message. We're going to talk about the motivation and the reason why we repent. And I just want to share two thoughts on repentance. And the first one is kind of, kind of like what we've been talking about. Repentance is your part in the process of becoming the person God already sees in you. Repentance is your part, your role. It's what you can do. It's, it's engaging in repentance. Again, we're going to talk about next week what that looks like. Repentance is a thing that you can do, that you can engage in to be a part of the process of becoming that holy, blameless saint that God already sees in you. It's repentance that leads you down that path to become the person that God sees in you already. Right? And so we kind of talked about it. I think we kind of understand that. But the second thing is very different. And this is, this is for me, this is probably, yeah, this is probably the most compelling reason for me why I want to repent. And I, I'm going to tee this up by kind of sharing something about myself. And I want you to know that as I share this about myself, I am not doing this as like a preaching communication technique. Okay? I'm not doing this to be manipulative. I'm not saying these things to be emotionally manipulative or try to like mess with you. I'm not saying what I'm going to say because I want affirmation or encouragement or pity. Okay, please, like you guys understand where I'm coming from? All right, the next, things I, the next words on my mouth are not for any of those reasons. But it's to illustrate a point about why we need repentance. Here's what I want to share about myself. Um, I, I am not a good person. That's what I think about myself. I am not a good person. Again, I'm not saying this for any other reason but to make a point. You don't have to come to me and be like, no, Chris, you are a good person. No, no, no. That's not why I'm doing this, okay? I'm not a good person. I'm not a good person. The reason why I say that is because I know myself. And I know my motivations for the things that I do. I know my past. I know my secrets. I know the things that I've done in the past that I don't want anyone to know about. I know about the conversations I've, I've had with people. I know the things that I've done. I know the things, that, and probably the biggest thing is, I know the things that I think about. And when I look at those things, I think, I'm not a good person. Like, I know. I know me. And I know my hang-ups. And I know why I said what I said. And I know why I did what I did. If I dig deep, I know why that's there. I know how petty I can be. I know how selfish I can be. I know how... How, how smart I am at rationalizing my own behavior and justifying my own behavior. I, I know that. I, I know the things that I've done. I know how I've treated my children and why I treated them that way and, and what happened. I know these things. I know a lot about me that you don't know. And my conclusion is, I'm not a good person. I'm not really a good person. Now, the reason I'm saying that is, if for any reason... You disagree with me on that. If any part of you is like, okay, 
No, you're a good person. If there's any part of you that is thinking, no, 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 you are a good person. I know this and this and I've seen this and this. If there's anything about me that makes you disagree with me saying I'm not a good person, what I want you to understand, the only reason you can say that is because of the grace of God. I am not a good person. And if there's anything good in me, and I honestly believe this about myself, if there's anything in me that is good, it is because of the grace of God. And if you've ever had an experience with me and you'd be like, Chris is great. Chris is a great person. He's a good pastor. I appreciate it. He's so loving. He's so good. If you've ever had any of those moments, it is because of the grace of Jesus Christ that you felt that and sensed that because I'm not a good person. Anything, everything that is good and virtuous about me is all because of the grace of Jesus Christ. I want you to understand that about myself. I'm not good. You know what I am? I'm polite. I'm not good. I'm polite. I know. I'm I'm not good. I'm socially aware. You know what I mean? Like I know that I can't do that in this setting. I know I can't yell and scream. I know I can't do it. That's weird and it's going to be awkward and uncomfortable. I know that I can't do that. And I don't do that. Not because I'm good, but because I'm not Because I'm socially aware, because I'm polite, because I understand how things work in this world. But if there's anything that is good in me, it is because God has led me through a process of repentance. And he has been dealing with me over the last 39, close to 40 years, dealing with different hang-ups, issues, problems, pride, all those things in we, little by little through acts and periods of repentance that I've struggled with over and over and over again. And God has been working and transforming me in my life. That's why there's any good in me. It's because of the grace of God. I want you to understand that what repentance is, repentance is a safeguard against the future evil we are actually capable of. See, I I don't feel like I'm a good person, and if I think about how bad I could be, it scares me. Do you guys ever have that thought? How bad could you actually be? What evil is there really in you? When you think about the worst version of yourself, when I think about that, I get scared. And repentance is God's way of making sure that we never get there. Because we understand the evil we're capable of. You know, as much as I'll like hear things on social media or or see things on the news and I'm like, I would never do that. And you probably had those moments. I would never do that. But let's be real. Given the right circumstances, given the right situations, given the right influences, the right community, the right trauma and right pain and hurt, is that really out of the realm of possibility? Like, I know. I know. Actually, maybe I don't even know the limits of the evil that I am capable of. But just like, if you just sit and think about that, who you could become and the evil you are capable of, for me, that's one of the main reasons why God wants to lead me to repentance. Because yes, God sees the good in me. God sees who I can become, that I'm a saint, that I'm blameless. 
But at the same time, I know I'm not good. And I live in that tension. I live in the tension of I'm not a good person, but God has called me a saint. He's called me blameless and holy. And repentance is my honest reaction and response to a God who would show me that kind of grace. That's why I repent. That's why we are called to repent. And by doing so, we are led into a process where God safeguards us against the evil that we are actually capable of. If you think about what you could do. You know, I look at my children, especially my daughter Hazel. I have a lot of moments where I'm like, dang, you're so mean. You are so manipulative. Where did you learn this? Definitely didn't learn it from me. Maybe you learned it from mom. I don't know. You know, I have these moments where I look at my kids and I'm like, man, if she just like stays on this path, like I'm scared of what she's going to become. Like when she's a teenager, it like terrifies me. I was like, man, she needs Jesus. Like my daughter needs Jesus. You know what I mean? But that's kind of my point. Like we're all in that same place. We're all in that same place. We're all capable of more evil than we think. Like, I'm not going to go so far and be dramatic like, oh, we're just like, you're two, three decisions away from being Hitler. Like, that's not what I'm saying, right? But I do think that all of us are more capable of more evil than we probably think we are. And in that same place, God sees that you are a saint and blameless and holy. And so he calls you to repent, to protect you and to prevent you from becoming the worst version of yourself. That's where repentance, where repentance leads us. Like, I think the best way for me to, to encapsulate this idea is, you know, we don't just need salvation for our souls. We need salvation from ourselves. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, salvation from, for our souls, justification, the cross, that's kind of the easy part. That's what Jesus does, and we, we accept him, and we're forgiven, and we're saved. That's kind of the easy part. But I also need to be saved from myself and what I think I can do if I'm away from him. That's why we repent. We repent to engage in that process of transformation, to be who God sees in us. But we also repent to protect us and prevent us from becoming the worst version of ourselves. That's why we repent. So next week, as we conclude... We're going to talk about what does this actually look like? What do we do? Now that hopefully we have the right mindset of repentance, how do we actually repent? So here's the homework assignment. Here's the homework assignment for you guys this week. I want you to pray. And in this prayer, I want you to ask God to tell you one sin, one sin, one single sin, one single hang-up, one single issue that you have that he wants you to repent from. What is that? Like you don't get to decide, all right? You don't get to decide what your sin is. Allow God to speak into your life and tell you, this is the sin that I want you to repent from. And next week, you're going to bring that to church. And we're going to repent and we're going to go through understanding what it is. And I'm going to lead you through a process, through a prayer, so that we can repent from those sins. That's your homework. And we'll put it on, on social media. We'll put it in the email newsletter so that you guys can be reminded and think about that sin. What is that sin, God? Search me and show me my sin that you want me to repent from. So next week is going to be a powerful weekend. We're going to bring this to, together as a church. We're going to bring our sins before God. And God is going to lead us into a time of repentance. This is a comeback season for us. This is a comeback season for you. This is the time where you're going to move from losing spiritually to winning. 
And it's going to begin by acknowledging our need for forgiveness and repentance, all in the context of God's love that he sees in you that you are holy, you are blameless, and you are a saint. So join us next week. If you're online, you're watching us online, join us next week as we conclude this series and get real practical and dig deep and experience the power of repentance in our lives. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, God, so much for the work that you're doing in us. Lord, it's always hard to bring to the forefront of our minds our failures and mistakes. But God, there's so much more at stake than just my pride. Like there is so much pain and hurt that I can cause to my loved ones and the people around me if I do not repent. And so God, this is why we come before you. We know we are saved. We know we are forgiven. We know that the cross is the atonement for our sins. So so we're not trying to repent to be saved. No, no, no. We're trying to repent because we're saved, Lord, because we honor your grace and your mercy and your sacrifice on our behalf. Lord, thank you for seeing the best in us. Thank you for seeing who we can become. And protect us, Lord, through repentance from the evil that we are capable of. Lord, this week, as we engage in prayer to seek and understand what that sin is in our lives that you want us to repent from, I pray that you would speak clearly. I pray that you would help us to pause long enough and open our ears so we can hear you so that real, meaningful, God-honoring change can happen in our lives. Thank you so much, Father, for the comeback season that we are now in, in this moment. In your name we pray, amen.